As long as I can remember, we'd been waiting for the Messiah to come for us. My family, our tribe, our whole nation. I always knew that he'd come, but... <laughs> well, let's be honest. It's not like I'm from Jerusalem or someplace special. I'm just a girl from Nazareth. And everybody knows that not much good comes from Nazareth. never has. house with his announcement but if that's what God wanted well, who was I to tell him he was wrong and Joseph well, God bless that wonderful man he could have joined in with everybody else he could have had me sent away he could have even had me killed but he just never broke the promise to marry me and so when he had to go to Bethlehem for the census, I was honored to ride by his side. Even with heartburn and bloated cankles and nine months of pregnancy behind me. <laughs> you know those women who try different things to induce labor, like going on frequent walks or eating spicy foods? What they should do is go on a bumpy 70-mile trip to Bethlehem not long after I got there and I'd never done this myself but even I know it was time and with every wave of pain I tried to ignore the fact that my family wouldn't be there to help me and that I'd be bringing this baby into the world without the familiarity of home When Jesus finally came, I forgot all of that, though. I just wrapped him in cloths and tried to make the most comfortable bed I could for him with the only thing I had, which was an animal's feeding trough. Joseph said I should have been sleeping then, but I couldn't stop staring at him. this world. It's always been that way. But as I look down at my son, my Redeemer, I knew that he would change everything because he had already changed me. Today we're starting a new series called Fear Not, and we're going to look at three different um, folks from Scripture where angels came and appeared to them, and I need you to help me out a little bit to help you remember this. Um, what is one of the first things that the angel said to them? Uh, put that up on the screen real quick. Well, that's it. That's it. it was actually on there twice on that first slide. What is it? Help me out. What does the angel say? Help me out again. What does the angel say? Fear 
Now, we're going to talk about Mary today, and the specific fear that we're going to look at is the fear of what God is asking us to do. And the reason I want to look at this, because I think there are a lot of people who treat God like we treat the annoying people in our lives. Now, you may not have these people, but some of us have these people. Whenever you see their, their name pop up on your phone, and, and you just let it go straight to voicemail because you know they're going to want something from you, right? Right? Don't raise your hand. Don't point at them, because that'd be kind of awkward. But you know, when you see them... <clears throat> You're just, you're just rain. So like, like you're at Walmart and, and it's just such a blessing to be at Walmart this time of year from, from, uh, the day after Thanksgiving and through Christmas, it is a blast to be at Walmart. There's love and good cheer and, uh, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? Right. Okay. Well, well, maybe not. Um, but, but you see that person and, and here's what some of you do. I've never done this, but I've seen you do it. When you don't know I'm looking. You see that person and you're going down the road and, and all of a sudden you look for a place to hide. You're going to get milk, which is way back at the back of the store and you see that person and you take a detour over here. Honey, look at this pot. Look at this enormous pot. Isn't this awesome? Come over here, honey. And you get her inside and you're, isn't this awesome? She's like, what is wrong with you? Nothing. I just wanted perspective on how big the pot was. When in reality, you're trying to avoid that person because you think you might be there all day. You pretend you don't see them. And, and I think sometimes we treat God like that because we're afraid God's going to ask for something from us. See, we want to be close enough to God to get the good stuff. Heaven, who doesn't want heaven? I've never met anybody who didn't want heaven. If it exists, even atheists say, if it exists, I want to go there. The blessings of God, who doesn't want God's blessings? That's a no-brainer. But I don't want to be so close to God that he has access to every area of my life because if he has access to everything, he might ask me to do something I don't want to do. He might ask me to go to Haiti. He might ask me to give up something I like. He might ask me to marry somebody ugly. Is that too far? Did I cross a line there? Well, I'm talking to real people today. Only the real people need to listen. Those of you who are holier than thou, not real people, you just take your halo off. You begin to polish that halo. Because here's what I want you to realize. Real people sometimes think, what if I gave everything I had to God? He might take me someplace where I'd be uncomfortable. It might cost too much if I gave too much of my life to God. Real people think that. And so today we're going to look at that and we're going we're gonna to try to figure out uh, why we get overwhelmed with what God is asking us to do. The, the, the short answer is we don't really understand God. Because in the scripture it says, perfect love casts out all fear. And if you knew your heavenly father and if you were totally secure in the love your heavenly father has for you, you would sign up and you would say yes before he ever asked you to do anything. The reason you're afraid is because you don't really know God. Now, have you ever heard anybody say that fear is the absence of faith? That's baloney. Don't you repeat that trash. Here's what I believe. Fear is actually faith in the wrong things. This on your listening guide, or if you have your, your smartphone, you can go to version and, and when it says where, you type in 75801, 802, 803, any of those, and it'll pop up all of the, the uh, listening guide is actually on there. Now, Fear is really putting our faith in the what ifs of life. What if the economy goes south? What if I lose my job? What if someone I love get cancer? What, what if I never get married? What if I marry a jerk? What if I marry a jerk and we have kids that look just like a jerk and it's an eternal reminder that I married a jerk? Right? We do the what ifs. Fear is placing our faith in the wrong things. It's placing our faith in the what ifs. And, and I got to be totally honest with you. Um, there are times that I'm overwhelmed with fear. 
and, and one happened recently, and, and I, I've been influenced by my wife on this one. Uh, we live very close to the hospital, and so we hear sirens all the time. And so we hear care flight, we hear sirens, we hear everything that goes right by the hospital. Because if you were to walk out our backyard, it's, it's about a block and a half to the hospital. If you went straight across our backyard, you could be at the emergency room. And so we hear these sirens. Well, uh, a few days ago, Rachel and Hannah got in her truck and they took off. I don't know where they went, but within two, three, four minutes, all the sirens in Anderson County went off. I mean, we hear, and our dogs are back there, you know, and it's just going crazy. And we're like, dude, that's a lot. And Janie goes, I have to call the girls. And my first thought was, why? And she goes, I got to see if they're okay. Anytime the sirens go off, I got to see if they're okay. And I thought, that's really irrational. And and I'm not kidding. I was walking across my living room floor and the thought hit my mind, what if it is for my two girls? What if they're in a wreck and what if they're dead? And I almost threw up in the, in the living room. And Janie's in there dialing, and the three or four rings it took for Hannah to answer was an eternity. And I thought, I don't, don't want to live like this. I don't like that. And then um, a, th- a few days later, sirens go off, and Janie's the one that's not at home. And before I could even get the words out of my mouth, Hannah's got her phone. I got to call mom. I got to make sure mom's okay. And, and <laughs> stinking thinking can... can this is what they called it back in the 70s. I remember growing up in a church and they called it stinking thinking. It's really negative thinking. The problem is not, we, we, we don't just have one negative thought, do we? We have one and it leads to another and it leads to another. And all of a sudden, my whole family's dead and I've got to plan all of these funerals all because I heard a siren. Now, y'all are laughing. How many of y'all are ever overtaken by irrational fear? All right, there's a bunch of us. Well, I've got some good news for you today, and I want you to hear what God's word has to say to you. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of what? But of what? Power and love and self-discipline. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are 365 fear knots in the Bible. It's as if your heavenly father gave you one fear knot for every day of the year because he knows that when we take our eyes off of him, we get overwhelmed by circumstances and fear controls us. Today, I want to talk about the fear of what God might be asking you to do. And we're just going to ask a simple question. Why are we so afraid of what God wants us to do? And there's lots of answers. We could spend a lot of time just sharing all these things, but I'm going to give you two answers that come from the passage that we're going to read today. The first one is this. God's interruptions are inconvenient. I don't know if you've, if you've been walking with God very long, but you'll discover that God interrupts you on his timetable, not on yours. So it comes at a very inconvenient time, like 38 acres dropped in our lap at Christmas time. Don't you know I have to buy presents? Costs money, God. Right? That's, that's very inconvenient. I want you to pay attention to a massive interruption in a young girl's life, in Mary's life. We're going to start reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, you got to understand, God never tells us anything haphazardly. There's nothing that just went, oh, I didn't know that was in the scripture. He does it on purpose. So who is Elizabeth and why is she pregnant? Well, Elizabeth is Mary's relative and she's been barren. And in that country, that culture, if you couldn't have children, it was seen as a curse from God. And so 
you're going to see a miraculous thing happens in in Elizabeth's life as well as in Mary's life. She's too old to have kids. Well, (laughs) an angel shows up to her husband and says, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. And and when they tell him that, that, you know, at the end when the baby's born and they name him John, everybody's like, why are you naming him John? Nobody in your family's named John. And, And Zechariah said, his name's John. Because the angel said, you're going to have a son. He's going to be named John. He becomes John the Baptist, you know, pretty, pretty famous dude, right? So Elizabeth is John's mom, Mary's relative. So that makes John the Baptist also a relative of this Jesus that's coming. All right, so that's who Elizabeth is. Verse 26 continues. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. All right. Now, I have to stop. I'm sorry, I can't go very far because I get into this stuff and, and then I realize that, that there's a lot of misconceptions about angels today. Um, many times I've seen angels portrayed as fat, bald, naked babies ply, playing a harp on a cloud. I double-dog dare you to find one scripture that says an angel is a big, fat, bald baby. We, or this happens all the time. And if, if this one, I'm sorry, <laughs> but you're misinformed. People say, heaven gained a new angel today because such and such died. There is no scriptural evidence that people become angels. We don't get wings. Bible says we'll become like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ walked the earth and it says, we don't know exactly what he looks like, but we have some idea and we see it as in a mirror dimly now, but someday we'll see face to face and we will be like him. Angels are created beings. They were created by God for a purpose. We are created beings. We are created by God for a different purpose. You don't become angels. Angels don't become you, okay? All right, get off my high horse. Because here's what I want you to realize. Angels are majestic, angelic, fierce warriors. So that's why when they show up, if they don't disguise themselves, now the Bible says that they can disguise themselves, but if they do not disguise themselves, if they reveal themselves to you, you know what you do when you see one? you hit the ground and go, oh, no. And that's why every time an angel spoke to someone, they said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Now, we've got to understand that. Now, there's two angels that are named in the scriptures. One is Gabriel, like here. The other one is Michael, the archangel. But here we're talking about Gabriel. All right. And it, it, continuing in verse 27, Gabriel appears to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Time out. Now, last year, we went all the way through the first uh, part of Matthew, and in Matthew, it has a genealogy, the family tree of Jesus, because uh, Matthew was trying to prove to everybody, all of his readers, all the Jews, that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, the very first uh, prerequisite for, for, the, for Jesus, for a Messiah, is he had to be a descendant of King David. If you couldn't prove that, then, then he just follows, he, you know, he just fades away into the, the night. You would never have heard about Jesus, but he follows all the way back Joseph's lineage to, the, uh, to King David, but he also, later it goes through Mary's lineage. So he's double connected to King David, so he qualifies, at least in that respect, to be the Messiah. So Joseph, his earthly father, was a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. This is a really polite angel. Greetings, favored woman. What it really means, that, that term means filled with grace. And there's only two times in the entire Bible that this word is used. One is here when the angel speaks to Mary. The other is in Ephesians 1, 6 when it talks about all believers, followers in Christ. And what it's saying is just as Mary was chosen by God and filled with grace, so every follower of Christ is chosen by God and filled with grace. Mary is not superior to us. We have the same 
filled with graceness that Mary did. The angel says, greetings favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, is Mary like, sweet, I just saw an angel. I can't wait to text that. I'm going to tweet it. Can I take a selfie? With the nah, look what it says. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think about what the angel could mean. Now, why confused and disturbed? I want you to think about this. Um, what would be going on in her mind? Uh, she was probably, we don't know her age, but we're just guessing. She was probably 14, 15, 16 years old. And the reason we guess that is because in that culture, as soon as a girl came through puberty, she was betrothed or engaged to be married. And so what do you think she's thinking? If, she's, if she knows she's going to be married, she's, she's probably on Pinterest trying to figure out the best thing that she can do to have the most remarkable, memorable wedding. She's practicing signing her husband's new last name. I watched Janie do it when we were engaged. Janie Washburn. And she said, oh, the, the W is not good. And she practiced for hours. Now, we signed something called checks. Some of you teenagers don't know what those are. But sometimes you have to sign your signature. And Janie would practice for hours. How many of you ladies practiced signing before you got married? Because you wanted to be prepared for that day. She may have been practicing. I don't know what Joseph's last name was. If you know that, let me know. She's probably thinking about baby names. And I've told you, you should just go to the scripture. You don't need a baby name book. Go to the scripture. I mean, some of my favorites, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their, their actual Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What else do you need? Right? There's Jehoshaphat. There's Aminadab, Zerubbabel. I like that one. Zerubbabel, come here. I couldn't even say that fast. I couldn't be mad and say that. Zer, come here. Anyway, I don't know. She's thinking up baby names. I like this name. I like this name. Ladies, you know you did it, didn't you? We had baby books. And Jenny said, what do you think about that name? I hate it. And we named all of our kids. And and it's funny because we'll introduce our kids. Sometimes they'll go, good biblical names. And I'll say, it's like we meant to do that. (laughs) We did. We intentionally named our kids biblical names. And and there's not anything wrong with your kid's name. (laughs) Suddenly, the angel appears to her and interrupts her plans. And it's really not inconvenient. It's really inconvenient. It's not the way she had planned her life. She didn't envision her future like this. Well, how does this apply to us? Because here's what we do. Every week, if you'll pay attention, here's what we do. We go to the scripture, we, we, we present some type of problem, we go to the scripture and say the answer is in the scripture, it's the most relevant book on the planet, but you need to understand what it was, what it was saying to the people it was written to, because this is a 2,000, sometimes 6,000 year old book, and so we look at the context, but if we just leave it there, it's a history lesson, we always try to pick out the timeless truth and apply it to today, because in every scripture you read, and some of you, the reason you're confused about the scriptures, you never get the context for today, you never get the timeless truth for today. And and here's just a couple of timeless truths from this. First of all, what we're going to learn is what we call interruptions, God calls invitations to something better. Those times we say, man, this is not convenient, God. God is interrupting me. He's often actually inviting us to something higher or something better. Think back in the Old Testament with Moses. He interrupted a regular day of herding sheep And had God not interrupted Moses, you never would have heard about him. The first five books of the Old Testament wouldn't have been written by Moses, but God interrupted his plan with a burning bush. And he said, hey, Big Mo, why don't we go back to Egypt? And instead of herding sheep, why don't you herd my people out of Egypt? Something higher, something better. What did did God do with Jonah? 
Now, Jonah booked a cruise vacation and, and God interrupted his cruise. Now, what I actually think is going on here, I think that, that Jonah was, was a triathlete because he had run from God, hopped on his cruise vacation. He got to swim a little bit, and I think had he gotten to shore, there would have been a bicycle waiting for, for him to take him further away from God. But God interrupts his triathlon training with a big old fish. He swallows him up, and in the middle of the fish, in the belly of the fish, God says, Hey, Joe, Joan, Joe, what's, what's short for Jonah? Jonah. Hey, Jonah. How about you go back and do what I told you to do in the first place, which is tell everybody in Nineveh that if they don't repent, the destruction of God is coming on them and I'm going to wipe them out. Jonah says, okay, I'll do it this time. God interrupts our plans with something better. In the New Testament, Peter, James, and John, they were fishing, literally fishing. And and Jesus shows up and interrupts their plans and he goes, hey, I want you to be fishers of men from now on. Or take Saul, He later becomes Paul, but when he was Saul, he was the most religious man on the planet. He has the resume. It's actually in scripture. He says, I'm the Jewest Jew you're ever going to meet. And he he gives you his whole whole, uh, resume. And and he's the best Jew, the, the, the biggest religious person on the planet. And he's running around killing Christians because they're not Jewish. And God interrupts his little running around with a blinding light. And he says, Saul, I want, to, I want to change your name to Paul and I want you to go all over the known world and I want you to tell anybody who will listen that there is a better way and it's not religion, it's relationship with a man named Jesus Christ. And he said, and by the way, I want you to write half the New Testament while you're at it. And blinded and praying, Paul says, okay. <laughs> I was going to go this way, but I'll go this way. You see, God always, no matter what your plans are, I don't care how great your plans are. They're nothing compared to God's plans for you. And everyone here as a follower of Jesus has their own interruption slash invitation story. Some of you, you were invited to, uh, to church. You weren't church people and you're like, oh man, there's no, I don't have time for that trash. I ain't going to church. But you can't get away from new life people because they just keep coming at you like the waves of the sea. They won't take no for an answer. They're just there all the time. Okay, and so you decide, finally, I'm going to go just to shut them up, just to get them off my back. I'm going to go to church. And something happened. Either, either a song happened or a video or, or something in the message or, or somebody just said something to you and, and it kind of pierced your heart and you went, maybe there's more to this Christian thing than I thought. And you kept coming and before long, you cried out to God and you asked him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And you noticed that there was this drastic change in your life and you were very, very different. What you thought was an interruption was an invitation by God to be adopted into his family. But it doesn't stop there. God's interruptions come your entire life. A friend is in the hospital and, and, and you feel this urge. I got to go see my friend. You're like, I don't have time to go see my friend. They're not that good a friend. But God just, because you have the Holy Spirit in you and God is relentless, he keeps putting this undeniable urge that you're supposed to go and you're supposed to, to talk to this person. So you take the interruption and you go and you didn't realize that it was an invitation by your heavenly father to be involved in something bigger than yourself. And you go in there and you start talking. I've seen it. I've watched my wife do this walk in, not have a thing to say. And all of a sudden these words start coming out of her mouth. And I go, holy cow. First of all, it's really sexy when your wife is saying things from God. That's just awesome. But when we walk out, I say, God just used you. And she goes, I know. What was that? Where that, I don't know where, I don't know where that came from. Some of you have had that experience and God uses you to minister someone and you feel good and you get this spiritual high that can't come from anywhere else because God used you for something bigger than this world. 
And then next week you come to church and, and they're like, hey, we need some help back in the back. And you're thinking, I could do that, but I really don't have time to do that. And then all of a sudden, before you even know it, you walk out in the living room, you sign your name on the thing to go work with four-year-olds, and you don't even like four-year-olds. And then you go and you serve. I've seen it happen over and over. A couple of months later, you talk to those people and they say, the greatest hour of my week is when I get to serve little four-year-olds and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. God uses you. What happened? God interrupted you. Somewhere along the way, he invited you to something better. And, and if you will pay attention, you're going to see that some of the interruptions are really God's invitation for you to do something better. The angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, appears to this girl who has her life planned out and says, I got something different for you. And, and what does the angel say? Verse 30, in the King James, that's where we got the title to the, to the uh, series. In the King James, it says, fear not. But in the New Living, which is what I've been putting up there, it says this. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Now, I don't know about you. Let, let's, just, let's just kind of fast forward and put this in, in 2014. If, if some angel, you know, you're about to get married, and the angel says, hey, you found favor with God. What are you thinking? Cha-ching! I'm going to be on a reality, a wedding reality series. Say yes to the dress. And, and maybe my wedding's going to be paid for, and maybe my honeymoon, if we have the best one. And by the way, I don't know what your, uh, what, what your reality show is, but, but, you know, four weddings... Equals a funeral. Or wait, it's four weddings? No, that's the movie. I'm talking about what's the, four, the, the reality of four weddings? It might as well be a funeral because stick needles in my eyes, plant me in a fire ant mound before I have to watch that. But anyway, I don't know what you're doing, but, but she's, she's thinking, oh man, God's favor. I'm about to be married and God's going to bless this marriage. Not in the way that, that she thought. You see, we're afraid of God's plans, first of all, because his interruptions are very inconvenient. But second, this is so simple, because God's plan isn't my plan, right? His plan is so different from what we have planned out for our lives. The angel says to her, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, there must have been a moment where she was like blown away. Oh, I get to be, oh my gosh, I get to be the mother of the son of God. And then she goes, oh my gosh, what is everybody else going to say? Because in that culture, if you got pregnant and you weren't married, you could be killed. You could be stoned to death. And then, then she comes back over here and goes, oh, son of, son of God. Oh, and then she goes, oh, I got to tell Joseph. She picks up her phone. Hey, Joey, are you sitting down? I'm pregnant, and the baby daddy is God. (laughs) Married dudes, your wife sends you a text, says I'm pregnant, and it's the Holy Spirit. What are you thinking? An angel of the Lord better show up to me and tell me something, which is what happened with Joseph. And Joseph was a very godly man. God's plans are so, I mean, can you, can you imagine how crazy it was for this girl? God's plans were so different from hers. And, and, and I'm sure people said, she's, she's pregnant. And, and oh my, no, really, it's God's. <laughs> I just, I, I can't imagine being in her position 
And see, I don't know what, what, what it is in your life. You may have had these dreams for your life and God's plan may have been way different. Because I've known people who, who prayed for their child and they found out they were going to get a special needs child and they went through a lot of difficulty and thought, God, why us? How come not them? We, what? And what happened was when they had their special needs child, they fell in love with that kid in a way that they did not even know was possible. I've seen it in family members. I've seen it in friends. And God used that child to mold them to look more like Jesus Christ. And they never would have gotten there without God's plan of bringing them a special needs child. Some of you, you'll lose a job and and you're like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. God can't be in this. God, where are you? Oh, how am I going to pay the bills? And suddenly you have no other options. In my case. But to start New Life Community Church 12 years ago. My cross-the-street neighbor said, well, I guess you just created your own job, didn't you, when I started New Life? Because he knew we were without a job, and we had no options and, and no money. And God had always planted inside of me that we needed to do a church differently than every church I'd ever been in. And God's plan was to do this, and, and I don't know. I, I, I would like to say that I'm spiritual enough that I would have said yes, even if I'd have been, but I, I don't know. But where we were, Janie and I said, let's... This is really what we said. We, she said, I don't want to look back 20 years from now and say, why didn't, we, why didn't we try? What would have happened had we tried? And so that was the defining moment. We said, okay, let's give it a try. We called five or six friends and said, we're starting a church on Saturday night. And Keith alluded to this in his, his introduction to his song, you know, that they came to the church. They thought we were a cult because we were meeting on a Saturday night in a pizza parlor. And they're like, this is weird. And, and, and that wasn't their plan to come to new life, but God had a plan for them. And so 11 years, they've been a part of our church. And, and so you just never know what God's going to do. His purposes are so much different than ours. And, and I don't know how many times I've talked to teenagers because I was a youth minister for 19 years. And they'd say, this is the person I'm going to marry. I'm supposed to marry. And I'm like, really? Who told you that? And like, no, no, I'm supposed to marry him. And then something happens and the, the relationship ends and they're just so down and out. Oh, I'm just never going to get married. I'm like, shut up. Because <laughs> I was such a compassionate youth minister. I was. just. And then, then God brings them somebody. And, and somewhere in their marriage, they look back and they see how God had designed this person so much better to serve God with them than the other person. But you can't see it in the middle. A lot of times you've got to look back to see what God had planned for you. Jeremiah says that God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And every now and then he's going to move in and what you might call an interruption, but from his perspective, it's an invitation to something so much better, so much harder than what you've planned, but so much more fulfilling than what you have for your life. Now look at what happened with Mary in verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. She's 14, 15, 16 years old, but she's pretty sharp. You know, she's had the talk. (laughs) Virgins don't give birth. There'll be a time for all you followers of Christ that God's going to interrupt you with something that seems impossible. Some of you, you know, you're going to say, I don't see how God you're asking me to forgive someone after what they did to me. It's impossible that I would forgive some of you are saying, God, I don't know how you're, you're asking me to trust you with finances because you know I don't have anything in this Christmas offering. What are you talking about? I've, how am I going to trust you to give back to me, God? I just don't, that's impossible. Some of you are going to say, I don't know how, God, how you're going to heal my marriage because of what he did or what she did. There's no way I'm going to ever forgive them. Some of you are saying, God, I, 
I don't believe there's any way you can heal my loved one because the doctors say there's no hope. (laughs) And when Mary said that's impossible, that's how she was feeling. There's no way. And look what the angel says in verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be... Uh, to be born will be holy and will be called the son of God. When the, when the angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you know what he's saying? This isn't a people-sized job. This is a God-sized job. And God always calls you to do God-sized things because you can't do it. And then when he does it through you, he gets the glory. So if you can do whatever it is that you see in front of you, God has not given you that plan. If you look at it and you go, ain't no way. It may be from God, and God may want to provide a way so that he gets the glory. And, and the angels say, you see, you're looking at people, with people it can't happen, but with the creator, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who said, let there be light, let there be water separated from land, let there be stars in the sky, let there be planets. That creator, nothing is impossible with him. Now, for all you followers of Christ, There's going to come a time and you're going to go, I don't know about that. I don't like that. But if you'll ask God, you may discover that it's an invitation from him. And you're going to think it's impossible, but truth be told, in your power, it is impossible. God, it's not. Now, what is God asking you to do or believe? Some of you, as I've been talking, there's something in the back of your mind. You already know what God has been asking you to do. And you've been resisting it because you don't know how you're going to do it in your power. Others of you, it's going to take a little time and maybe a few days of praying, but I want you to pray, God, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do now? What are you directing me to do in this season? Some of you, it's going to be, you're supposed to start a ministry. You've been talking about starting a ministry at New Life for years, and it's time to start the ministry. Some of you, it's try to resolve a relationship that's gone bad, and God's going to direct you to do that. Some of you, he's going to ask you to go back to college or take a step of faith and change your major. I started out as an engineering major because I had always wanted to be an electrical engineer. Went to, went to uh, Baylor, and I had a science class, that, a chemistry class that was a weed-out class. And I, and I got the dean of the mathematics uh, department for calculus. And suddenly the Lord directed me into church music. And, and I look back and I really do think that was God. I don't think I prayed about it at all. It's just I'd always wanted to be an electrical engineer. I didn't pray about it. I just showed up and said, hey. And people are like, why are you going to Baylor if you're going to be an engineer? It's better now, but back in the 80s. And then when I changed, I was like, oh. God, you interrupted my plans. You had something better. Now, what I want you to do is just pause. And I want you to bow your heads yet. Just pause and say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And then if God is asking you to do something, take a step of faith, write this down. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is mine. Outcome is on God. Obedience is on me. You just surrender yourself like a teenage virgin girl did 2,000 years ago. And the angel put this opportunity in front of her. And just as I believe, God's going to put some opportunities in front of you. And, And how did Mary respond? Look at verse 38. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Before she says anything else, she reminds her who she is and whose she is. She says, I'm a, I'm a child of the king of kings. And if he's asked me to do something, then I'm just going to obey. And, and then whatever happens is up to him. And God needs more people like that. 
because I can trust him with the outcome if I'll just be obedient. And so right now, just kind of without any thought about this, I want to know how many of you in this crowd today will commit to pray and obey. I just, if you say, I will pray and obey whatever God tells me to do, let me just see your hands. That's pretty cool. I'm grateful to God to be in a church with that many people who say that. In a minute, I want you to write that on the back of your registration card. Now, every year we talk about the virgin birth and people say, why does the virgin birth matter? Well, the fact that Mary was a virgin and that Christ was born through her means that, that there was no earthly father involved. And so Jesus doesn't have a sin nature. He has a sinless nature. That made him perfect because he could come. He could live like us. He could be tempted in all things as us. He didn't even have a sin nature though, so he never sinned. So when he goes to the cross, he can be the, the once for all sacrifice for our sins. And he was crucified, he was laid in the tomb, but he didn't stay there. And we're the only religion in the world, in the history of the world, that serves someone who is no longer in the tomb. Every other one, you go to their tomb and the bones are still there, but Jesus Christ's tomb is empty. And so it caused people who who fled when he was crucified... It caused them when they saw a dead man walking, it radically changed the course of their lives. It interrupted everything they said. And they said, we will die rather than turn our backs on this man who used to be dead, but now he's alive. And it changed everything. Some of you have not ever surrendered to this Jesus. And so right now you need to say, I'm I'm ready to surrender. This one whose birth, yes, the birth is a big deal, but but God never told us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. He said, don't you dare forget the death and resurrection of Jesus. So always have to tie in the birth. Yes, woo, yay, presents. Death. But the third day he rose again and some of you need to surrender to that that Jesus. And so it's real simple. The way we say it around here is you just ask him to forgive your sins and lead your life. And if you do that, I'm gonna ask you to write that on your card in just a minute. Uh, We have uh, three cards at the back, uh, three baskets at the back. We have a joy basket, that's where we give our tithes and our offerings, and you can do that there, or you can do it online, uh, nlccp.com. We have a registration card basket. We always ask you to write something on the back, and that's prayer concerns or from the sermon. So if you say you will pray and obey, then I want you to write, I will pray and obey. If you surrendered today and it's the first time you've ever surrendered, I want you to say, I surrendered first time. Or if you're coming back, if you've been away and this kind of reminds you, you need to come back, you say, I surrendered, coming back. And then the third thing is we have a third basket at the back called our bagel basket stands for building a great life. And everything that goes in there goes to pay for this land that we believe God has given us. And we're asking you to pray. And if you will pray about that, we had 15 people last week say that I would pray about what God wants me to give, 15 families. Now, uh, before, I, before we had the $6,000, well, actually the 5,000 was given, we got an extra 6,000. I just went through the math. If those 15 families, this is funny because I know some of those people that said they'd pray, they, they don't have money. But if 15 families gave $1,000, we'd have 15 grand. If 30 families gave 500, we'd have 15 grand. If 60 families gave $250, we'd have $15,000. If 120 families gave $125, we would have $15,000 and all glory would go to God. And so if you're willing to, to say, I will pray about what God wants me to give, I just ask you to give what you can and watch God multiply it. Next week, we're going to talk about being afraid again, and we're going to have the Lord's Supper, and we're going to have a special offering for our, for our land that we believe God has given us. And if you'll remember, when, when the children of Israel were given the promised land, most of the people were ready to go in, but some weren't. And we're just going to ask you to pray and ask God 
If God's the one giving us this land, then we got to buy it. We don't want to be disobedient. If God's not the one giving us this land, then let's not buy it. God's not going to tell each of us different things. God is a God of order, and he'll tell us all the same things if we pray about it. Would you bow your heads? Father, I just want to ask you to move in your people and to do things in and through new life that can only be attributed to you. Because God, every one of us here is going to die someday. I want to be involved in building something that lasts beyond my time on this earth. And the only thing I'm, I'm for sure confident of is your kingdom will never end. So I want to spend my time. I want to spend my talents. I want to spend the money that you've given me in building that kingdom. And I pray you raise up a host of people, new lifers to do the same. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Be sure and get a budget at the back. If you've got the poinsettias, we don't, we don't have any left, but if you've, uh, has everybody paid Sharon? Sharon's going to be back there. Are you going to be up here? Sharon's going to come up here. If you requested one, you can come pay her. Don't forget to get the budget and come back and see us next week. You're dismissed.